Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. It's your club, and this is your show. You probably couldn't ask for a better pair of performances to come off the back of the international break, could you? City utterly dominant in a comfortable win over Everton, and then they go and win what was supposed to be a tough Champions League group by coming from behind to take three points against PSG. Those two games will get a good going over in the first part of today's Blue Moon podcast. Then attention turns back to the Premier League as what could be a pair of tricky ties arrived this week. First West Ham, the team that earlier this season knocked City out of the Carabao Cup for the first time. They come to the Etihad, and then we can probably expect a less than warm welcome to Villa Park after the Jack Grealish transfer saga in the summer. We'll hear about those games from a West Ham and an Aston Villa perspective soon. Plus, we'll look at some absolutely belting goals from unexpected sources after Rodri's effort over the weekend. I'm David Mooney. With me this week, I've got the Daily Mail's Jack Gorn. Hello. I thought you were going to say, on the intro there, I thought you were going to say you couldn't ask for a better pair of guests. But you didn't. So well, maybe we could have done. Maybe we couldn't have done. I'll, I'll, I'll leave the listeners to decide that one. Uh, mm. Because the uh, the second guest for this week we've got from StatCity.co.uk, Adam Carter. Hello. How are you? Are you are you feeling like uh, one of the top two guests in the country right now, Adam? I'd say we're up there, and we've got a couple of great games to dissect. So. Two great performances, two great guests. Yeah, Jack. I, uh, I, the promo material for this season. One of the, uh, one, one of the um, tweets that we were putting out used to say uh, that the Blooming Podcast was the reason so many people swore by their smartphones. So that's uh, maybe, yeah, maybe well, yeah. Yeah. the level that we're I can, at. I, I can attest to that. Yeah, <laughs> constantly swearing whenever I listen to this podcast. Yeah, excellent. What are you talking about. <laughs> Excellent. Well, let's let's not break the habit of a lifetime. We'll start with uh, Everton and PSG. Um, Jack, the obvious place I think to start for for the performances in these two games. The man of the match against Everton, really, really impressive against PSG. Rodri, what's changed for him? Um, maybe just uh, I was thinking about this before. Maybe just time. I kind of he's in his third season now. He's like been here a while, um, and he seems to be just more comfortable in himself. Um, he looks more confident, possibly a little bit leaner, um, I think, which him being a little bit leaner makes it easier for him to recover, um, positionally can recover himself when ball gets turned over in the middle of the field. So we, you don't see him struggling to catch up with um, transitions uh, as much anymore. I think that's probably down to his physique, whereas other people will probably say his positioning is even better than it was before. I don't know. But, I mean, I've got like kind of massive humble pie for me because the last pre-season tour we went on was in uh, China and Japan um, two that's and a half like, years ago, just when he signed. Yeah, yeah, just when he signed. And I turned around to, to the guys out there, there was about, I don't know, five or six of us out following the, following the team and watching Rodri and I went... What have they signed here? Like, <laughs> honestly, I could just couldn't see it, which is a, stupid and ridiculous to pass judgment on someone in a preseason friendly. But I kind of he's really surprised me this season how he's how he's performed because you know as you said you you look at the ball for the uh, for the first goal on Wednesday night he's just got everything now, hasn't he? Yeah, can do it all. 
Yeah, Adam, like like Jack says, is it is it that he ha- actually has a better understanding of his role, or has the system been changed to to suit him? And like, because the the other side, that like something Jack said there, I'd not considered. He does look leaner, and I don't know if that's because he's playing better or if he is actually leaner. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and I want to throw another thing into the mix there. Is it the fact that he knows Fernandinho is not going to be competing at the same level for his place now, as well as that giving him a new lease of life? Obviously, you can physically see his leaner, so that goes without saying. Um, we do look like... he. I think he's breaking up and mopping up more attacks like Fernandinho used to do than we've seen Rodri do in previous games. In previous games, he's just been dictating the play, or just been, uh, you know, sp- spreading passes and whatnot. Yeah. But he, he's even putting out those fires now, um, where I've not seen him do that over the the previous few seasons. Where there, that's where you would you'd miss Fernandinho if Rodri was playing. And now we've kind of got both of them in one player. Um, so I think the system now. I'm I'm a big fan of the midfield trio of Gundogan, um, Bernardo, and Rodri. I think Bernardo's form and is Bernardo maybe doing a few a bit more running for him as well. Um, so I think the system change that you allude to is absolutely correct, it, him being leaner. But also I think there's less pressure on him to try and compete for Fernandinho's shirt now because I just think it's Rodri's, is the first name on the team sheet. Yeah, yeah. Jackie, I mean, the the, the, the thing with um, like, like doing the, the legwork as well, the start of last season when, when City were not playing well at all, Gundogan was alongside him to kind of do his running mm. for him and he's like, he doesn't need that anymore, does he? No, but I also think that was very important that they played Gundogan alongside him for that spell of games last year, because he was there was there was a stint where he was really really struggling, um, and he needed a bit of help. And I think maybe that benefited him in the in the long run, just because he he was putting in kind of like six out of tens next to Gundogan, but it was just like keeping him going, keeping his head above water a little bit, um, and then from there you've got a base to to work from um, and his performances got better and better since um, and I think does he get as much protection when De Bruyne plays next to him I'm not so sure so I think as you say I think the silver element of it is a is mm-hmm. a massive a massive boost for him yeah Jack is he is he winning the ball higher up as well is that like because it feels like he is yeah, I, think feels like, yeah. I think there's more but I think there's more intent to the whole team at the moment Um and obviously, it's really boring. But they kind of like defend from the front as a as a unit, don't they? And I think they are being more aggressive in where they want to win the ball, like they were kind of four years ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Adam, we can't not mention his goal from from weekend. <laughs> uh, he's it, it feels like he's been threatening that for some time. Do you know what I mean? Like he doesn't he yeah. doesn't tend to cut to hit them from range that often. But every now and then, you think this guy he's got a, he's got a belter in him from range, hasn't he? Yeah, you go back to the one at Turf Moor a couple of seasons ago away. Um, and every time it sets up on the edge of the box from then and up until now, it's it's screams of shoot around the stadium. But he does pick and choose his chances, and obviously he's took it with a, a, amazing aplomb on uh, on the weekend. And I think, and then he tried it again against PSG on his left foot, and it didn't quite have the same effect. So uh, he'll be people will be screaming for him to shoot now, even when he gets it in his own half. But it's just lovely to see it. You, you knew as soon as it left his foot on against Everton, it was going in. And Pickford did well to even try and get anywhere near it. Yeah. Uh, you just knew it was in. It just lifted the whole place. What what a goal. 
Yeah, yeah. Jack- the PSG one, he, he shanked it onto the metro line, didn't he? Yeah, he was. <laughs> it, it was. It was kind of like like this is what you could have won from last week. And he, like yeah. you, could, you could see he had his name in lights already, and he couldn't resist it. And it just like it was a proper left foot swinger on that. Yeah. Now, uh, Jack, the, um, the the other element of these two games that I want to talk about is uh, the fullbacks. Now, obviously, Cancelo's been been stealing the headlines um, after the Everton game. Guardiola was asked specifically about Cancelo. Uh, but he couldn't help himself talking about uh, both fullbacks. This is the, the the question was all about Cancelo. This is what he said in response. I think right now Kyle and Joao are in uh, incredible form. You know, Joao is not the first time having a special. Now he's maturing in the fact that plays simple a lot of times in the right moment, make the passes like the only Husky one has the quality to do it. By the same times, I would say some words from from Kyle. Is the best Kyle ever I ever seen since we are together the last. For five years, the last month, month and a half, it's the best one. Defensively, offensively, with the ball, the personality, creating, and also he can improve. But uh, Kyle is is, is being is, is being so so important for us. Please support the show by becoming a backer. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. Now we'll come to Walker in a minute. I also love the way that that Guardiola goes. He's the best. He's the best version I've ever seen of him. He can get better, but he's the best one I've ever seen. Um, well, we'll come to that in a minute. We'll start with Cancelo. Um, what, how has he been able, Jack, to, to make himself play so consistently in in an unfamiliar position to the point where he's now like one of the best left backs that I've ever seen. Yeah, well, to start with, I mean, going back to the question and answer there, it, I, Pep's the sort of person if you if you'd asked him, if you'd found out that um, paella was his was his favourite food, and you asked him a question about it, he would start waxing lyrical about patatas bravas. I well. <laughs> um, say it was the most incredible potato of like in the world because that's just what he'd like. Um, Cancelo's Canche- really interesting because he's had significant ups and downs at City. Um, and wasn't happy when he wasn't playing. Um, and then something kind of clicked over lockdown and he just like knuckled down. Um, and I mean, the way he's playing at the moment, it's just, you don't know what he is. I mean, I, re- I remember doing um, the West Brom game in January away. I think they won 5 0. And he was basically yeah. playing as, he was playing as a fullback and a number 10. Simultaneously, <laughs> it was it was the most astonishing performance of, of of any player I've seen in in a long long time, and I think I think they might move him into midfield more permanently next season because they are they are going to sign a left back next summer. Yeah, they're already drawing up plans on who who they want to get. Um, and as you say, as Walker's so consistently good as well, I just wonder whether Cancelo would be that sort of person that or that sort of player. That they can move in to a midfield three in a similar way that Zinchenko played last night, um, and get him higher up the pitch more often because his range of passing is probably only De Bruyne has a, a range of passing anywhere close to Cancelo's. Yeah, uh, that's the interesting thing as well, Adam. Because um, I, I was going to ask my next question was actually going to be: Is he as much of a, a of a playmaker as the forward players? And the way Jack spoke then, I, I, I was actually. In my head, when I saw the lineup for Wednesday's game, I thought it might have been that Zinchenko was at left back and Cancelo was further forward. Yeah, that that was my initial thought as well when I saw it. Um, it just reminds me of like Gareth Bale started as a left back and is now one of the best front three players, or has been one of the best front three players in the world. So I think Cancelo can deliver further forward 
um, is the best wing back creator we've had since Alano was stuck there for a game uh, at home against West Brom. So he's got all the attributes to, and I actually think against Ever- Everton and um, PSG, he did his defensive stuff right as well. So he's, he's, he's contributing at both ends of the pitch. It's not just a case of we stick him in left back because we've had left back injuries and we hope he'll do something going forward. You know, he does do both um, disciplines of the game well. I think he's always got a yellow card in him. So having him further up, the pitch is probably preferable because he's not the last line of defence. And I that's why I thought last night it'd be Zinchenko tucked in behind and he would uh, do the role that it turned out Zinchenko was doing. But he's certainly one of our most creative players, if not, and certainly in the in the absence of KDB, Foden and Grealish, probably one of our most creative player. Um, and it's just exciting to see it from a different position on, on the pitch. And yeah. he's now, you referred to him as what being one of the best left-backs you've seen right, right in recent times. And I agree, he's got the status now where he can afford to drop some mistakes and not get crucified by the fans for it. I don't think he had a particularly good game against Palace a couple of weeks back, yet the people who sit around me would have caned anyone else for that type of performance. But he's now getting brownie points with the fans because we know what he's got in the locker and he's now actually changing matches. I think in, in uh, the week before last, he, uh, before the international break, he had five assists in the three games in the week. So he's, he's now delivering. So you, you're able to, if, if, if he does drop a little mistake here and there, he's now he's now got money in the bank. You mentioned the assists as well, Adam. Um, like he loves the outside of his foot anyway. But yes. that assist against Everton was insane. He he almost did yes. it again against PSG. Yep, yep. I know, fantastic. If, I think it was to Jesus. If he would have gone with his left foot, we might have been saying that it's two in a week for the outside of the foot. He's just got that technical gift. Um, Gary Neville used to wax lyrical about him. From he had, he had him for a, a week at Valencia, I think, and uh, he knew then that he was going to be this superstar. So um, he's got all the attributes, and he's just an exciting player. And I think you know, I think we'll see that outside of the boot every week. Now that'll be his trademark. We see it every week, anyway, mate. He's not. He, 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 it's it's all. It's an aversion to using his left foot. But if you can do that with the outside <laughs> of your right foot, then go for it. Crack on. You. Pa- I mean, that is that's past the season so far, isn't it? Yeah. Because of the there yeah. was the the depth. Um, of space that he had to hit was was really really shallow um inside the box and i just i don't know you'd like as what i sat there watching it going i think i know what he's going to do but there's absolutely no way he'll be able to do it <laughs> and he did and it yeah it was did. just like, incredible i mean the, the finish still his finish was exceptionally good as well um but yeah just if you've got a left back that can unlock teams like that then they can defend as deep as they want can't they because you're going to get through yeah yeah i mean the, the other side of it we talk i want to talk about walker as well jack but um how much of walker's performances are, are because somebody like Cancelo is in the team and it sounds daft because cancelo has been impressing from left back but ultimately he is a right back yeah i think um walker has always needed someone pushing him um from behind uh because i think that was the that was one of the things that was said about Walker when Danilo was at the club, that basically he didn't really have any competition and his performances dropped. Um, I think Pep might have said that in a presser at some point um, over the last couple of years. And now he's got this guy who is a right-back and will revert to right-back or you know play centre midfield maybe or whatever when they do sign a left-back next summer. Um, but Walker is someone who wants to wants to continue playing at the highest level until he's like 35, 36. Um, he's fit as a fiddle, takes great pride in his stammer and his speed. He constantly references it. And I, he is just 
I think he's better when he's in the face of like a little bit of criticism. Yeah. And he wants to prove people wrong. Whereas obviously the Cancelo thing's a little bit different. But he he wants to prove that he's a better player than the guy behind him and wants to keep his place. And he needs that kind of um friction, I suppose, to get the best out of himself. Yeah. Um but I mean you've seen like this year, I think he's he's more mature position positionally. Um he'll always be able to uh, recover himself from bad positions because of his athleticism. Um, but you've, I just, he just looks a more rounded right back at the moment, and equally is offering, offering more going forward than he has done in the last couple of years as well. Like, yeah. you know, think of the, um, the Sterling chance at the weekend that he missed. Uh, there's not often we saw Walker get that far down the right hand side and and swing a ball across last season, but it's it's becoming more and more prevalent this this time. It's yeah. just an additional weapon that they've got. It was also he was he was involved in the equaliser as well against PSG. I think he, he didn't get the assist because I think it flicked off Jesus in the middle, but it he, he got the ball yeah, back. Exactly across the same. Yeah, yeah, it's the same yeah. move. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Adam, the Guardiola, we heard him say there that uh, this is the best Kyle he's worked with. Uh, do you agree with him? Is that is, is Walker in his best form for City at the moment? Yeah, and I think it means more to him now. I think he gets it. Um, I I, uh, always remember he had a bit of... uh, There was always a Twitter post from before he joined the club, um, slagging City fans off, as you do as a young footballer at another club, and then you find yourself... You find that you've moved to said club that you've just slagged off on Twitter. So he had a bit of making up to do there, and I think he gets it now. I know know it's trivial stuff that he's not even probably in charge of, but his Instagram post saying how much the fans helped last night and there's so much desire on show from Kyle Walker now. I think he loves a foot race, so if he's playing against anyone of Mbappe's ilk, he's determined to win that. Um, I was going to say, Mbappe must hate playing against him as well. Is that three times now he's just had him in the pocket? Yeah, exactly like Jack says there, when he's got a point to prove, he's going to do it. And anyone who tries to enter a foot race with him is going to come out nine times out of ten as as the winner. So when when you're pocketing someone like like Mbappe, that's not easy to do. Yes, he looked a bit lazy last night for PSG, but overall, the calibre of player that Walker's shutting out week in, week out now... Um, I think he deserves more plaudits than he's getting. I think this is probably the fact that you've, you've focused on him now and uh, Guardiola's getting asked those questions now. It, the, the screw's probably starting to turn. I mean, he's won his England place back as well. We can't forget that he was out of the England setup for for a time as well during that lull. So he's, he's absolutely bounced back and he's uh, top-notch now. Definitely the best walker we've had at the club. The question though, Jack, uh, should he be over free kicks as much as he is? He took one at Anfield for some unknown reason. And then against Everton, I thought he was going to have a go and, and Mares hit it instead. But he was over it and ready. they're ready to take it. Why Why is he there? Uh don't know. Phil, Phil Foden should be the free kick taker. That's he's the most technically gifted player they've got. So you would get him over the ball. I don't know. A wallop. Uh, Walker just fancies having a, having a pop every Having a wallop, doesn't he? Yeah. yeah. Put your foot through it. See what happens. You mentioned Phil Foden, Jack. Let's talk about uh, the wide players because um, City kind of slipped back into that inverted wingers setup for uh, the PSG game. And as, as as much as I like Raheem Sterling on the right, and I want to, that's genuinely where I want to see him play pretty much all the time now. Um, he did well on the left. It, so uh, even if he's not out of his rut, you yeah, sound he's surprised. Been, well, he's he's been in a rut for quite some time. And I just I think he's been playing well for quite a few weeks. Do you think? 
I, yeah. I just, I, I just think like, like certainly when he's been on the left hand side, it's just not looking like it's been clicking for him. And then, like, because my question was going to be, if he's not out of his route yet, then you can see the route out of it right now. Yeah, I think, um, I think when he came on at, at Liverpool, I thought he did really well. He stretched the game. Um, and there was another one where he came off the bench. It might have been Bruges at home. Um, I thought that he, was his turning point, the Bruges game. I was, think, did he? He was, scored that game, didn't he? But yeah, it wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't the fact that he scored. It was just his performance. I was yeah. like, oh, there's something like he's just he's getting there. I agree with you. I would like to see him play on the right hand side. And I also think that I predict, which is probably going to be wrong, but I predict over the next couple of months that Pep is going to play natural wingers against lesser opposition to really stretch the game um, like we saw against Everton at the weekend and then against the better teams like PSG last night they're going to play the inverted um, inverted wingers and yeah I I don't think I still don't think Sterling scores that goal last night if he hadn't scored at the weekend Um, and it just breeds confidence doesn't it yeah. Um and yeah, I think everyone wants him to everyone just wants him to go in again. Um and get in the team again and sign a new contract and everything's and everything's fine. Um but I think I I, I don't think he's been quite as bad as people have made out over the last couple of months. It's I, just it yeah. just hasn't been, you know, he's not he's not been scoring the goals has he so it's easy to knock him. Yeah. I think I I certainly I can see the trajectory on the up now. I just, I, I just much prefer him on the right hand side. I think that's, I think that I thought that was his way back into form, basically to get, get back on the right hand side. Um, Adam, the, the, the unusual thing, I guess, is that when he did play on the left against PSG, it, it's not usual when he plays on the left that he gets a back post tap in. That's usually a right hand side thing, the way that, the way that City <laughs> have been playing. Um, so I, I mean, he's been there. He scored a couple of goals now. He also he won a penalty that was was overturned. Uh, what did you make of that? Yeah, three and three for Raheem now. Um... First time he's done that since last February, so I think I can see that route out. And the penalty against Everton, I was obviously up in my seat in the third tier. I thought it was a penalty on first uh, viewing, so did the uh, ref. And because it took so long, I text my mate and saying, "Is it a penalty?" Because he's watching it on telly at home, so he can let me know before the VAR can. And he said it's soft if we get it. And then when I saw it again, I thought it was soft. So it was typical Raheem running across from left to right uh, across a defender. And I thought, yeah, he's, he's, he, uh, Keane couldn't get across him and he's, he's brought him down. But I think it would have been soft if we got it. But just the delay, and again, we lament the VAR process. I was able to text a friend who was watching at home and he was able to give me the information before me, who is a paying customer, seeing, or, I hate to use that term, but you know, a supporter in the ground, not knowing what's going on. Uh, I thought it was a penalty on first view, but I think it was the right decision. Well, that's the key thing, though, isn't it? That we got the right decision in the end. That's that's all that really matters. It's got four minutes, though. If you're taking four minutes to make a decision, then it probably isn't a penalty, is it? Mm, correct. Yeah. I'd yeah. like to see a timer, 60 seconds. If you can't decide it, then it's not clear and obvious. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the the other uh, the, well the the other side of this that uh, that the, that the inverted wingers uh, brings is uh, Riyad Mahrez against PSG. Uh, Jack, he was. Um, I, 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 it's a shame that he didn't get himself an assist or a goal in that game because because PSG just could not live with what Mares was doing, could they? No, he was ace, really good, and he's better in he's better in Europe than he is in the Premier League. Um, he's one of the standout performers in the in the run to the final last 
last season in, in the knockout stages. Um, yeah, you, well, you know what you're going to get from him. You get silk of the first touch, but you get really good balls into the box. And you will also see him cut inside and ping one in the top corner every so often. Um, it looked like one... he was going. It looked like he was going down the outside a little bit more than normal as well. Yeah, kind of changing it up a little bit more. I think the the, the one thing you're not going to get from him in comparison to the others is, is the work rate. And you know, it doesn't take a it doesn't take a genius to work out. You you only have to look at Guardiola when Mares is on his side uh, on that touchline. He's, constantly telling him what to do uh, and constantly screaming at him to to press and run and trap back and whatever. He needs to be coached through the game, which is why when it comes to them having to play their first 11 in the biggest games, I don't, I, I, I don't think Mahrez will be in it. Yeah. Do you think, well, do, I was going to say, Adam, do you think with the fixtures that are coming up and the fact that we're now into the winter slog and a couple of injuries here and there, is, we'll see a lot more of Mahrez in the in the domestic games as well? Yeah, I think we'll we'll see a lot of him because of those injuries. But I think we just wrap him up until February now, roll him out for the Champions League games. He's a Rolls-Royce player in those games. Um, you know, the way he can just pick the ball out of the air. I lost count how many times he just dangled a toe out and trapped it perfectly every time. You know, that's not a shock anymore with Mahrez. Um you know, I yeah, think but, uh, he will you can't get... you can't build a career on that though because I've, I've I saw Wilfred Bonney do that for City quite <laughs> regularly, and you know, like like he's not he's not exactly held in high esteem. No, so maybe he needs to. He'll use these uh, Premier League games to you know further his reputation. But I just I know Mares is going to be the first name on the team sheet in the Champions League tie, and I don't know that in a Premier League Saturday Wednesday kind of fixture. Um, but we have got injuries in midfield, um, so he is going to get his chance. But I don't, like Jack says, I don't see him doing the same job in the Premier League that he does in Europe. But it's it's a nice problem to have if you if you bring in Mares into your team to cover injuries. He's it, it's going to create something for you. But he was definitely going on the outside more uh, last night because he definitely had the beating of the right back, and it was refreshing to see him mix it up. Yeah. So I think he's he's got stuff in the locker that you know it can still contribute. Yeah, I want to just before we move on. I want to talk about Bernardo Silva as well, Jack, because uh, his his good season is continuing. Um, I'm I'm wondering if City being strikerless actually helps him. Um, no, I think he's an exceptional player, and however you play, you could play him anyway, couldn't you? He'd be uh, he'd be one of the best players in the in the side. Uh, I just think with the the energy is showing, like Chelsea. Chelsea, just an incredible performance at Chelsea. I'm just like blown away by it. Um, and he's the best. He's got to be the best midfielder in the country at the moment. Um, got his head down. Obviously, wanted to leave in the summer. Um, and yeah, that's what. That's why the manager loves him so much. Yeah. Um, it was funny actually because I I interviewed him about four days before the Champions League final. About only about ten minutes, and in it he said, um, uh, he, "He said, oh, the best thing about the manager is that we can always be honest with each other." So I'd like kind of transcribing it, he just kind of glossed over it a little bit. I was like, didn't re- didn't really know what he meant. And lo and behold, six weeks later, he wants to leave, <laughs> and the manager said, "You can go." I was like, "Oh shit!" I kind of like missed the uh, missed the <laughs> yeah. line here. Dangled that carrot in front of you, and you've just, I know a bit uh, naughty yeah. of him, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, Adam, how 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 has he has he managed to get better? How because he was already at, at what I thought was at a level where you couldn't improve on it. 
Yeah, he, he just looks so determined now. I think we we talked about having the best version of Kyle Walker that we've had. This is definitely the best version of Bernardo Silva we've had. I think he's eclipsing the levels that we saw in the either 17-18 or 18-19 season where he just ran everywhere. I think he's still running now. Um, that's how... He's just tireless. He plays, I think I've said this before, he plays like you'd hope that we would play if we were playing for City in terms of the desire, the passion. And for someone who's obviously had issues and in wanting to leave, yet he's still showing that much heart and desire to play for us and to deliver these performances and to make sure that we're, we're in the game, that every ball is, is won, fought for and won. You know that's a massive testament to someone who's young in a different country. We don't know. We don't know exactly what the issues were in terms of him wanting to leave. Um, I'm just a question question for Jack, I suppose, from my point of view around Bernardo. Do we think that these performances are enough to put paper over the cracks that were there, or is it still a case of it'll, it'll be gone at the end of this season? Is because the club obviously had an agreement to let him go with him. I think you're gonna have the. I think they'll have the same. I think they'd have the same problem next summer as they had last summer. Is that they devalue him as a yeah. Well, they, he's an exceptionally valuable player, isn't he? His, his value's only gone up, hasn't it? This yeah, exactly. This <laughs> and how much? How much does a midfield like that worth to some of the best teams in the in the world? Like a lot of money. Yeah. And also, he is happier than he was. I don't know whether that's. that's what- Hoping that counts for something. Yeah, I don't know whether that's football or whether that's personal circumstances or not. I don't. I don't know. I'd be guessing if I was talking about that. But you know, it, things are rosier than they were. So it wouldn't yes, be. And he's got so I'm long. Into that. <laughs> and he's got so long left on his contract as well. I think he's got another three years after this season. So mm. there is no like. There's no panic for them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, final point for the first part of the show, Jack. Um, what did you make of Cole Palmer against uh, Everton? Young young player thrown in. Um, it's a little bit of an unusual move from from Guardiola. That. Yeah, really good. I, there was a good, I think there was a few people that said that he was a bit below par, which I thought was I thought was quite unfair. Um, he played a, he played as a false obviously played a false night at West Ham in the cup, didn't he? And. I, did play as a Falstein in the under-18s a little bit um, as they were trying him out in different positions. But it is a relatively unfamiliar area for him. And when you watch the highlight, I, I like watching the game live, I was like, he is impacting this game. He's involved. And then you watch the highlights after and he's like involved. He's there every single move. He plays his part. And there were two, there were two passes which justified his inclusion for me. The first one was the... The, the ball which split the Everton uh, bat line for Bernardo uh, just uh, just before Gundogan hit the bar with his header. So it was a brilliant pass. And then there was a second one where, again, he split the defence and set Walker across and then Walker um, plays a ball uh, over to Sterling and Sterling misses. Now, if, th- if those goals go in, everybody turns around and goes, oh my God, Cole Palmer. Yeah. What a performance! But because they didn't result in goals, some people turn around. Ah, oh, well, I'm not really sure how much he did and whatever. But he just looks at home, and like he's 19 years old, and he looks at home in the in the best, arguably the best team in in Europe, with such high te- high technical players. Um, and it's just a really really promising. It's a really promising start for him, yeah. Because they, they they've known they've known for about. Oh, Eighteen months that he was he was gonna he was gonna make it, um, 
and now he's just he's just proven that he could do it, which is fantastic. Yeah, will he be? Do you think he'll be involved much over the next few months, or is it going to be a case of uh, literally he will be as it like you know you're given like those little moments here and there, but not that often, and we'll all be screaming out, "Let's see, let's see more of him." Or is yeah, he I don't, be I don't in, think do there's think? there's not the same clamor, is there, as there was for Foden? Yeah, because everybody knew that Foden from a very young age, like even the supporters, and why would supporters know what a sixteen-year-old's like? But they did with Foden because. I don't know. There was just this kind of aura around him. Um, it it's not quite the same with Palmer. Palmer's a bit of a slow, slower burn. Um, and when he signed his contract in the summer, it was very much City told him or told him, "Trust us. Like we will look at look at what we've done with Foden. We will integrate you into this team." And Palmer's put his trust in them, and Here he's getting probably probably getting enough minutes to justify the decision not to send him out on loan because every every team in the championship wanted him and I would have thought that a few in the lower down in the Premier League were looking at him in the on loan in the in the summer as well. Um and the, yeah there are a few games that you can look at in the next few weeks like Leipzig away now they've they've topped the group he'll you would have thought he'd start in that and then this conversation doesn't account for injuries and, and suspensions and he's not done anything wrong when he's when he's played. So I don't see any reason why he wouldn't start a few more games over the next couple of months. Yeah. Um, Adam, you know uh, that I love a good stat and a squad number stat at that. Um, Cole Palmer off for James McAtee. 80, squad number 80 off for 87 is the highest ever Premier League change. And it has to be uh, because Cole Palmer was the previous record shirt number before McAtee came on. So um, it's a it's a huge it's a huge one for uh, for the good squad number geeks out there. Uh, what did you think <laughs> of, uh, of McAtee when he came on? Yeah, he's just um, David Silver incarnated, isn't he? Um, it's nice to you, when you when you're pulling out high shirt number stats like that. You know that uh, your youth team players or your academy players are getting a run out. Yeah, <laughs> um, and it's just nice to see. I, I'm a big uh, advocate of giving youth a chance, and Pep has his critics, but he's also handled Foden perfectly, so he knows what he's doing with these young lads. And the fact that we have got that conveyor belt over at the uh, academy that just is now seemingly churning out these players who are ready for the first team in terms of how we play. Uh, and Pep knows he can trust them. It's just superb and long may it continue, really. Yeah, Jack, there's been there's been talk of uh, McAtee having not signed a contract and, and not sure where that's going. Uh, a bit of first-team action is not going to ham- not gonna, um, hinder that, is it? No, it's a, it's a play. I, I would assume that it's a play to get him to sign his contract and say this is, you know, this is where we see you and this is what we can do with you. Um, but on the flip side, if they were to sell him, they'd end up getting 15 million quid for him, which the academy would turn around and go, we've done a really good job that. Yeah, it's a success story. There's a massive, there would be a big sell-on clause and whatever. It did, just briefly, the, the academy's in a really interesting uh, moment at the moment because you're seeing what Chelsea have done over the last five years and the amount of, the amount of academy products that are now playing for them. City are probably four or five years behind where Chelsea are. And it'll be very interesting to see what Manchester City look like in a few years' time. Yeah. And how many of them break through. Because, uh, as Adam said, they are producing these players that are, are capable of stepping into the first team and not looking out of place at all. And as Gary Neville said at the weekend on commentary, I think he said they're all... They're all clones. They're all yeah. clones. Yeah. I look at I mean look at McAtee. I'm not comparing him to anyone at all, but McAtee carries a far greater goal threat than David Silva. 
Yeah. Nice. Right. Well, it's, uh, it's, it's back to Premier League action this weekend and there's a bit of a score to settle with West Ham after they became the first team to knock City out the Carabao Cup earlier in the season. I've been speaking to James Jones from the We Are West Ham podcast to find out more about how the Hammers are doing this year. I mean, we could probably do a full a full podcast on just how how amazed we are at the start we've had this season. I think um I think, you know, after last season's success and that came out of the blue a little bit, I think a lot of fans were quite were quite um not so much apprehensive, but a little bit reserved about what to expect this season. We we weren't expecting a great deal. We knew the team and the club needed to push on a little bit, but we weren't expecting um a repeat of what we saw last year. But so far we're it's exactly what we're seeing. Um and so the start of the season um, has been, been nothing short of incredible, really, from a West Ham fan's point of view. Um, just didn't see it, really didn't see it coming. Well, I mean, why why is that? Because, I mean, last season, you played really well last season. I remember the, the, the two games against City were, were pretty tough in, uh, in in both the home and away game. Um, so why why was the expectation quite quite dampened this season? I think when you, when you look at the summer business, um, you know, we, we knew we had an extra six games to, to contend with, with the Europa League, minimum. Um, we you know, we didn't buy a striker in the summer. We left all of our business really to the last seven to ten days. We couldn't bring Lingard back, who was so crucial to the success that we had last year. And I think as a result of all of that, the fans were a little bit apprehensive as to whether such a small or thin squad could replicate um, what was achieved last season in the early parts of, of the campaign. And But David Moyes, has, he's rotated really well. He's utilised the squad really well. I think there's only... I think there's only one, one or two players in the squad that haven't played more than five games. I think you know he's rotated really well. Um, we've been lucky with injuries so far. We've just lost Doug Bonner to an ACL for the rest of the season. But other than that, we've been quite, quite lucky with injuries. But I think that's really the crux of it is that we were apprehensive because we've never been in this position before. Not in, not in the last, not in the Premier League era at least. And um, as as a result of it all coming out out of the blue last year, we were kind of like, well, let's just keep our feet on the ground and just see what happens. But yeah. it's been pleasantly surprising up to this point. Yeah, I mean, also we we can't not talk about the uh, the League Cup meeting earlier in the season um, yeah. because I mean that that was one. I, I know a lot of City fans going into that were there was there was kind of like two feelings. The first one is, well, we always beat West Ham. But the second one is like this is this is the sort of game where City could slip up and they did. Well, how how typical was that performance of how West Ham have been playing this season? I think it was very typical. Um, you know, our, our tactics from last season haven't haven't changed. We're still very difficult to beat, as you as you found out. Um, so, so yeah, I don't think it was very surprising. I think on the day it was perhaps a little bit surprising when you look at the team that we put out. It was you know, more as rested quite a few players. Um, you know, the likes of Yarmolenko, who, who's probably our, our, our would be a bit harsh to say, but probably our worst performer this season. Um, you know, he starts and you, you look at it and go, well, as soon as the team came out, I thought, well, you know, we're going to lose this and it probably won't be the worst worst thing in the world if you if you go out to Man City, who, who might as well rebrand the, the Carabao Cup <laughs> to the Man City Cup. But yeah, I think I think it wasn't, wasn't so much surprising um, if you take the grand scheme of things in terms of the season that we're having. But um, it just showed that you know we're we're a very difficult team to beat under David Moyes, regardless of the team that he puts out on the day. Yeah, I mean, you said there that it's that it's possibly harsh to to say that Yarmolenko has been the worst player of the season. Who 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 will cause City damage this weekend? Well, I think I think Antonio is the obvious one. Um, you know, he, he had a really good international break. He was a little bit tired last week in the defeat to Wolves. You could that you could tell, but he had travelled 
quite quite a lot of miles. You know, I think David Sullivan put on a private jet to get him back from Jamaica um, in time for the Wolves game, which would have taken a little bit out of him. Um, but he's the obvious one. You know, it'll cause anyone tro- uh, problems, any defenders tr- uh, problems. But the problem is, is that you know, because he's relied upon to play so many games, he does get tired very quickly. But other than that, the, the, the key one for me is Jared Bowen. I think you know he's almost been the unsung hero for West Ham this season and probably last as well. Um, took him a little bit of time to get going this year in terms of his numbers, but over the last what, what, month, six weeks, he's beginning to get in the score sheet a lot more. He's beginning to rack up a few more assists. Um, and he just doesn't stop running. Um, he'll, he'll chase balls down. He'll press really well. But when he's on the ball, he'll, he'll, he'll take players on. His movement's great on and off the ball. And I think... If there's one player to look out for this weekend, then it would definitely be Jared Bowen for me. Yeah. I mean, the, the other side of things, you mentioned the Europa League. Obviously, we're talking uh, on Wednesday at the moment, so it's before you've played in the Europa League this week. How have West Ham been doing after uh, after the Europa League games? Surprisingly, we've done pretty well. I think we'd, we'd, um, we'd lost the first couple. Um, we lost to United, which was unlucky. Obviously, in the last minute, and then we had the, the whole Mark Noble coming off the bench to take the, the 93rd minute penalty and missing. Uh, and then we lost to Brentford, but since then we've we've beaten Spurs and we've beaten Liverpool after Europa League games. So I think David Moyes has got the squad quite used to that kind of schedule. Um, that's one been arguably one of the most pleasing aspects of the season so far is that you know we've we've not allowed the new schedule, the new fixture schedule that we're we're not used to 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 really affect what we want to achieve in uh, this season. So. I don't think it will it will really come into play on at the weekend at, at the Etihad because I think that the players are now used to it. They're fit enough to deal with it. Um, so, yeah, it's been quite pleasing to see us do pretty well after Europa League games. Yeah, I mean, just finally as well, obviously, uh, you, you mentioned coming to the Etihad. It's a, it's a tough place for uh, a lot of teams to come to. This season, we've seen we've seen teams really, really press City in different ways. Both Crystal Palace and, and Southampton uh, did a really good job of cutting out the space for City to, to, to try and pass through. And then you've got teams like Everton and, and, and Norwich who came, tried to, to sit compact and, and not come out of their own box and they got that they they got a, a good hiding um how will West Ham approach this so will we be a lot more proactive than, than than some of those teams I think it'll probably be a combination of the both I think that's one that's a good aspect of, of West Ham under David Moyes is that you know we, we can sit back and and soak up pressure and, and and all the rest of it but then we are good enough we've got the attacking players we've got the pace going forward to to really you know, go at teams like Man City and cause them problems in attacks. So I think it might be a mixture of both. I think in the cup game earlier this season, we were quite happy just to sit back. Um, but we did attack when we needed to. And I think that's probably what we can expect. I think it'll probably be a mixture of what you saw um, of Everton and, and Palace. Um, I think, you know, they'll be quite quite happy, particularly at the beginning of the game, to, to sort of see, to, to sort of work it all out and then, and then go from there. But um, I'm quite confident that, we will be able to. We will avoid a thrashing, which we've been quite quite accustomed to in previous seasons. Not so much the last one or two, but in previous years. And I think we're we're good enough to cause city problems in attacking periods of the game. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm quietly confident actually. Yeah. Funny enough. Uh, let's let's have a score prediction. We've got a charity back coming up a bit later on in the show and uh, I'm generally useless at it. So when we have uh, opposition fan guests on, I usually give mine over to them. So let's uh, let's have a score prediction. Well, I say I'm quite confident, um, but we're normally pretty good bouncing back from a from a defeat. Uh, I don't think we've lost back to back games under Moyes for coming up to a year now. Um, actually, well, apart from when it happened in April, but before then, it's probably been a year. So we're pretty good at bouncing back. Um, this is going to be a tough fixture. Everyone knows it, but I think a point 
a point will be seen as a very good result. So I'm going to go one all. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. That was James Jones from the We Are West Ham podcast. Um, Adam, that Carabao Cup tie uh, still fresh in the memory. Um, it's kind of kind of expecting a tough game because of that, I guess. Yeah, I think West Ham are a different entity to any that Pep's faced previously. He's never lost to West Ham, uh, apart from the League Cup. I class that as a draw with a loss on penalties, but that's an argument for another day. We've had um, that argument every every time a penalty <laughs> shootout comes around. We have that yeah. argument, so let's not. Yeah, yeah. yeah we won't open that that one. Um, so it's definitely the toughest West Ham. We're, we're, we're labelling a lot of things: the best Walker, the best Bernardo, the toughest West Ham. Um, but it certainly is that, and. They've after they had a bad result against Wolves, but up until that point this season, they've been I've, I've enjoyed watching them. I'm I'm happy for their progress. I don't want them to be too happy come Sunday, but I think it'll be a real stern test. Um, certainly, the toughest West Ham uh, team we've faced in a long, long time. They they look organised. Each of them knows the jobs. They want to be. They play, look like they're playing for each other. The fact that they've got the extra um, day. Uh, in Europe to play should suit us. We're the home team. They've got to travel. So I'm hoping we'll edge it, but they, they know what they're doing and it's not going to be a walk in the park by any stretch. Yeah, I was hoping the uh, the European thing might be a bit of a problem for them, Jack, but they went and beat Liverpool after playing in the Europa League mm. uh, on, a, oh. on a Thursday and they, they did the same. I mean, I know, I was going to say everybody's beaten Spurs, but City haven't beaten Spurs this season. They lost there, <laughs> didn't they? Uh, but they went and beat Spurs again after Europa League game. So it's not necessarily going to oh, be it, easy on that me. front, is it? Yeah. <laughs> They've got a slightly better record away from home than they have at home as well this year in the in the league. Um, I know they lost at Wolves last week, didn't they? But yeah, they just uh, well organized. Yeah, they are well organized. I mean, that sounds like quite patronizing, but Moyes has done a really good job in kind of making them tick. And they have got more flair players than they've ever had before, so yeah. they're capable of hitting teams on the break, um, which is you know it's what you expect on Sunday, isn't it? Like every team that com- goes to the Etihad sits in. Doesn't matter they, whether they play on the break, yeah. Doesn't matter whether they're Chelsea or Burnley, they all play the same and they play on the break because that is that's the way to beat City, always has been under Guardiola, uh, and will continue to be the way to beat them. Um Should City have any concerns about home form, Jack, given that it's that okay, the loss to Spurs was it was the first day of the season, it's like mitigating circumstances. Both teams really, really tired after the after the uh, Euros, all that sort of stuff playing into it. But at home Southampton have come and, and really neutralised City. Palace came and neutralised City. Everton was a good response, but it's still that they've they've struggled a little bit in those, those those games against teams of that ilk. Yeah, I think there's a, been a pattern over the last couple of years, though, in that they have they have struggled at home early doors in the season, and then have and, and then have kind of got out of the funk and like I say this at the weekends. Winter's coming, and when winter's winter arrives, City go on massive runs and take divisions or take league titles away from everybody because they just go and pulverise everyone in front of them. Um, the Palace game, I I did wonder with the Palace game whether Guardiola will at the end of the season might look back on the Palace game and see it as very similar to Spurs away last year, where it felt like God, no one really knows where they're going. It's a bit flat. I mean, Palace completely deserved that victory the other week. Yeah. But after Spurs last season, they went, all right, they didn't play well for another kind of month or so, but they were picking up points and were unbeaten. And then they start, then they just clicked into gear. And I just wonder whether 
that Palace game will have a similar impact this time. And it's difficult to put your finger on why that is, but history suggests that they're probably ready to go on a bit of a run now because the performances are, they're getting better and better each week, aren't they? I mean, like Everton was better than the week before or the game before and PSG was better than Everton. So it's it's going in, in that direction. Yeah. Um, the the other side of things, uh, Adam, uh, James thinks that West Ham will play deep, but be a little bit more proactive than Everton were. Um, that, uh, that that I, I guess is one of the big problems that City faces when teams have when teams kind of defend intelligently instead of instead of trying to sit in and pack the box. When they do that thing where they cut off the passing lanes for Rodri and where they where they stop the centre backs getting the ball out quite as easily, and 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 if West Ham could do that, I guess that's that's the way into causing City problems. Yeah, if you if you nullify those streams like like you mentioned, if if Rodri isn't able to dictate the play, I think most of our uh, certainly the Everton game at home was our best home performance this season, and that was no coincidence that that was when Rodri was sat in the middle, able to spray the passes and dictate the tempo of the game. So if we if they get amongst us higher up the pitch, we might. You know that doesn't come naturally to us. We're used to having uh, two banks uh, behind the ball and us finding a way. You know, in in round behind, if they're coming at us, it'll be an interesting an interesting battle. I don't see West Ham being that uh, so much on the front foot. I think, like you say, they, they will be careful. They'll be clever with it, and they they will cause us problems. But I do think they'll allow us to have the ball and dictate it. Which sounds daft, but sometimes we don't let teams choose how they're going to play against us. We just uh, take it away from them. But I think uh, certainly, uh, I mean, the, the 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 West Ham fan knows more than I do about West Ham, and if I'd like to see, it'll be interesting to see if they do come and play like that. But I think they might have just a bit too much respect for us, and I'm hoping that's the case anyway. Yeah, uh, let's look at uh, the midweek game at Villa as well, Jack. Because um, I guess I, I, I get the feeling that this one's going to be uh, a lot of needle about the Jack Grealish transfer. Yeah, yeah, I'm. I'm uh, I can't wait to to count how many snakes there are in the whole time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, that'll be if I and go to that notes game, as well. Be my they job. like those. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Oh, yeah, I don't, and then they then they went and pinched Emmy Buendia from a smaller club. But anyway, um, yeah, it's uh, it'd be interesting to see whether whether he plays because at the at the moment, would you would you pick him in the eleven? Has, has he trained? Uh, no, no. So it's it's still it, so it would be it would be. Yeah, no, but we're kind of like what are we six days out, aren't we? So yeah. Yeah, I guess. Oh, yeah, I yeah, of course, because we're talking ahead of the West Ham game. Yeah, so it's yeah, I don't know. It's it's an interesting one uh, because I mean, Adam, it, it reminds me of the Gareth Barry return in two thousand and nine. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's what the the pound notes were out in force that night, and I think it'll probably add even more needle if Grealish is coming on off the bench. So because then all eyes are literally on him. He's not running out with ten other players at the start of a game and then just getting booed periodically when he touches it because he gets that anywhere now. So he'll be he'll, he's the type of player that will love that though. I think he's the type of flair player that would thrive in that environment. And I'd certainly back him to score if in that in that environment. I just love that. But I think well, it'll I'll be as a substitute. Answer. Yeah, I'll let you answer Jack's question then because I don't know. Would you play him? Um. I think bringing him on as a substitute would 
give him more of a narrative to go and perform. So I'd bring him on. I wouldn't start him because Jack asked the question there. I don't think he currently gets in our starting 11. I think Jack's a player for us for the next four or five years and he'll have his time where we're building teams around him. I don't think he's in our current starting 11 uh, and it'd be a great game to bring him on from the bench. Uh, Jack, if, if West Ham are in form, uh, Aston Villa are not in form. One win in six. It was the last game, but it's, uh, it's still one win in six. Yeah, but you'd kind of... Without wanting to revert to cliches, you would expect that Gerard will um, will get a reaction out of them in the next few weeks, um, particularly as they're not having tomato ketchup anymore. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, it's kind of it's a really great occasion. Isn't it Villa away midweek, full house. It's it's a sort of it's a sort of occasion when City are playing well that they really relish. Yeah, um, and yeah. when they're not and when they're not playing well, they they really struggle. Um, so it's one of those, if, if if they win at the weekend, which I expect them to do, then you would think that they will go and just completely dominate Villa midweek. But just if they of, don't... Get, they don't the well, they'll, they'll need to take the sting out of the atmosphere, won't they? I, mean, I think the first thing is... Yeah, but I mean, they keep the ball that much that it does kind of take the sting out of the games. I mean, look at Old Trafford the other week. It's just like... Passed them to death, didn't they? United didn't yeah. get out of their own half at first six minutes. Uh, and it just completely kills the crowd. Um and that's that's what they'll be that's what he'll be telling them to do before Wednesday, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Adam, does does the new manager in Gerard um make this difficult for Guardiola to read? Because it's it's uh, we know that Guardiola focuses not only on what his team can do, but but in neutralising the opposition. If he doesn't really know what Gerard's going to do, it's, does that make it more difficult? Because, I mean, ultimately, he's, he's, he's had a good few years at Rangers, but he is still a relatively inexperienced manager as well. Yeah, there's not much to go at in terms of homework of your opposition when he's only had one game. And I think new ba- new manager bounces, I think. I think they'll be giddy. Uh, Gerard would love to get an early scalp, you know, in terms of getting one over on Pep so early, so he'll be up for it. Um I'm convinced Villa will score and then we'll be up against it. Um, but it's a, it's a hard one because you've got no homework to do. You can't see how he sets his teams up. You've got one you've got one game to go from, uh, and they'll be up for it. Home game midweek. It's got all the. Uh, it's got a nice uh, recipe for uh, quite an interesting fixture, I think. And um, Pep will probably want to put Gerard in his place as well. You've got two big names there, regardless of management uh, experience. And uh, Gua- uh, Gerard will love locking horns with with Guardiola. So, but I, th- I think we'll be all right. But it'll certainly be a giddy one for them. Well, let's get uh, an Aston Villa perspective on the coming midweek match. I've also been speaking this week to Frankie Maguire from the All Villa No Filler podcast to find out what life is like in the post Dean Smith era. It's been a very emotional few months, to be honest. Um, losing uh, our, our captain, uh, boyhood fan, and then uh, our manager, another boyhood fan. Uh, so dealing with that um, in the last couple of weeks has not been uh, the easiest. I think a lot of us wanted to see Dean Smith given a couple, maybe a game, one game more, despite the fact we'd lost five in a row, uh, which in the Premier League, as you know, uh, usually means you're not going to be in a job for long. Um, but, you know, a lot of things are counted against Dean Smith this season, a lot of injuries, um, a big transition in how we play, having lost our talisman. And... Um, 
COVID breaks, even some of our players going out to play for Argentina and almost getting arrested in Brazil. Um, just a lot of things haven't really gone gone Dean Smith's way. And um, then when he left, obviously, it was very emotional. I think he'll always have a special place in uh, Villa fans' hearts, really, particularly how he got us up. And as I said, you know, been a, a lifelong fan. But now Steven Gerrard is there. Um, I think there was at first... Um, I don't think it was overwhelming excitement at the thought of him coming in from most of us. Um, but, you know, the way he's spoken in interviews, um, having heard from a lot of Rangers fans as well, um, I, I interviewed one on my podcast, um, it, it, the, the excitement level has grown somewhat and that's just uh, been extended by a, a really good um, performance in our in his first game against Brighton when we finally ended our losing streak and won 2-0. So um, a little bit more excitement than there was. I would say, yeah. How how has he started? I mean, obviously, it's it's easy to look at the fixtures and go, well, he's you know he's won his first game. That's a good start. Did he change much in 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 terms of the way that Villa were playing? Um, so he he stuck with the four three three, which was Dean Smith's favoured formation. And I think uh, a little bit of luck that went Gerard's way in his first game was that he had a pretty much a every player fit, um, which Dean Smith hadn't really had all season. Um, I think one thing that was noticeable uh, in the first 15 minutes particularly was that we opened up a lot faster than we have done this season. We've been quite passive, not pressing opposition teams very well, um, sitting back, allowing them to come at us. And um, from the off on Saturday, we really went um, for Brighton, made it uh, pretty hard for them. Uh, but Brighton, um, I think Pep Guardiola once described playing Atalanta as uh, like having a toothache. And that's how I sometimes look at Brighton. I think when they retain possession, they can be a hard team to play against. And um, I think Villa, structurally in centre midfield, we really need um, another a, a strong, you know, good on the ball centre midfielder. Um, and Brighton were exposing that for a while. But uh, our substitutes made the difference. Um, Ashley Young came on and did a great job. Um, so, and was, you know, a big part of, um, how we scored our goal, first goal through Ollie Watkins. Um, so I think what I would say is that, yeah, I think Villa look like we're putting more, we, our intensity level has gone up already. Yeah. I, I mean, the other side of this as well is, uh, you touched on it in your first answer as well. What, what's life in the, in the post Jack Grealish era like as well? Uh, it's, it's, it's kind of surreal being on a Man City, uh, podcast talking about it because, <laughs> um, you know, I think... I think at the time, I think the reason Villa fans reacted with such a kind of visceral emotion was that Grealish, you know, really felt like one of us. Um, and he'd been there through our darkest days, you know, with the club almost going out of business, to be honest, a few years ago. Um, and he'd been a big part of how we got back up into the Premier League. Uh, you know, that fantastic moment against Birmingham City where he scored the winner, having been punched by one of their fans. Um, and I think we all knew what a special talent he was. And for many years, it felt like he was overlooked or even just called overrated. So I think we always had a very special connection with him. And he was obviously, you know, to have a talent, a player of his just incredible um, ability and talent. Um, it, it was special. Um, so to lose him, uh, it's really, it really has affected the team um, early on, uh, particularly our left back, Matt Target, who had a really good relationship relationship with him down the left. Um, Target had a great season last year and the opening to the season hasn't been great for him, though he played well against Bryson. Um, and I think that's partly due to Jack Grealish going. And I'd also say potentially Ollie Watkins. Um, I think Watkins is a is a really 
excellent striker. Um, I really do rate Watkins very highly. Um, but even he, I think, um, you know, the chance creation, he wasn't quite there without Grealish. So it's definitely been a transitional time for Villa. Um, and it will be interesting to see if Grealish does play on Tuesday night, kind of what the reaction will be. I was going to say, what sort of reception can he expect? Is it because it, it, obviously he, he was there for so long, and he and like it, 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 I, I, it feels like from looking from the outside in that he left on on as as good a terms as you might be able to. Yeah, I think that was my view. I mean, I, I'm probably not in the majority here, but I I kind of felt well. I'm absolutely devastated he left and it felt really, it, it kind of it hurt to see him go at a time when Villa, it felt like Villa really were on the up. Um, particularly to, you know, to Man City where we've lost a lot of our best players in the last kind of 10 years. You know, you look at Milner, Barry and Delph. So I think it, it was tough to take, but um, I, I personally wouldn't hold it against him that, you know, he's aged, what, 25, 26 um, probably looking at his career now and thinking it is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, Champions League, Pep Guardiola, Kevin De Bruyne. Um, you know, he, he, you know. I, I mean, I'll give you a story. I mean, my, my own uncle played for Aston Villa, John Dean, and he played um, for Man City briefly as well, I think, uh, in the late 80s. And um, I asked him about it, you know, because he's also a Villa fan. And his reaction to me at the time was, you know, at the end of your career, um, you want medals, don't you? You want to count your medals and... Um, it's just it's funny to see how professionals see the game differently to how us fans do. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it would be. I know he still, um, you know, publicly professes that he likes the Villa and all that. And I, I think time will be a healer, as it has been with Ashley Young and Dwight York. Um, but I, I think that raw emotion for a lot of fans is still there. Um, so I. I don't think it'll be a great reception on Tuesday. <laughs> um, but as time goes by, I, I you know. Again, as I say, there might be a few Villa fans who disagree with me on this, but I think as time goes by, you know, time will be a healer, essentially. Yeah. I mean, the, the other side of it is uh, Villa got £100 million for him. Um, <laughs> how, how, how has that been spent? Was it, was it spent at all in the transfer window? Yeah. yeah it, um, well, I think we're in a net profit, actually, from the transfer window. But we did bring in uh, three players, uh, Danny Ings, Leon Bailey and Emi Buendia. And all three of them were supposed to fit different roles that Grealish filled, which kind of shows you the versatility and excellence of Jack Grealish, really. Um, Ings with the goals, uh, Bailey and Buendia with the creativity. Now, uh, Danny Ings is an interesting one. I think we all rate him very highly. Uh, It hasn't really... He scored a fantastic goal against Newcastle, but at the moment, he's not looking like a natural up front with the way we play. I think when Ollie Watkins plays as our lone striker... He looks more threatening. Um, he looks more involved and puts more pressure on. Um, Ings has played well, but I think Ollie to me is who is my preference up front. And then you've got Leon Bailey. Um, he's been injured a lot of the season. He's had a couple of cameos where he's looked really excellent. Um, so I think, but uh, he's he's also his track record is that he's quite a streaky player. So some games he's probably not quite at it. But so far, whenever he has played, he's been effective. And Buendia is our record signing. 
Interesting one, very highly rated from Norwich. Lots of goals and assists. The statistics are very good. Um, I think he's just coming to terms with where he is in the team. Um, you know, it's been disrupted for everybody this opening part of the season. Um, eventually, I think it would come good for him. He's had a couple of really good games, a couple of good moments, but he's not. It's not quite found the consistency yet. So I, t- I think he's still finding his place in the team. Um, but that those three players are primarily who we used uh, replaced Grealish with. Yeah. Uh, now we've got a charity bet coming up a bit later on in the show, Frankie. Um, I'm useless at these. I've already given my West Ham <laughs> prediction off to our West Ham guest. What's your uh, What's your prediction for this game? And I'll, uh, I'll let you have my charity bet. Uh, well, as long as it isn't a 6-1 repeat from a couple of years ago, I'll be happy with that. Um, ooh, uh, uh, you know, uh, I'm going to say we ride on the Steven Gerrard wave and manage to grab a 2-2 draw. That's my ultra optimistic view on it this is the blue moon podcast but don't worry it'll be over soon that was Frankie Maguire from the All Villa No Filler podcast. Uh, time to get the predictions in for the charity bet. We've had wins on each of the last three matches on the charity bet, so no pressure, gentlemen. Um, William Hill has given each of the panel a £10 correct score single on City's games. The money is going to the Man City Fans Food Bank Support Group. They're collecting donations of both food and money for the Trussell Trust. They help people living in food poverty. Gaz correctly predicted the Everton game. Kieran Murray then got the PSG score right, and it's taken us to £750 for the season so far. Uh, we heard from James that he thinks it will be a one-all draw at the Etihad uh, for West Ham. That's 10 to 1 and £100. Uh, Adam, what's, uh, what's your score for this one? For West Ham, I'm going 2-0 City. 2-0 City is 13 to 2 and £65 if you're right. Jack? 2-1 uh, City. 2-1 City is 8-1 to one and £80. And then uh, that takes us to Aston Villa. Uh, Frankie went for a optimistic 2-all draw. That's 16 to 1 and £160. Uh, Jack, what are you having for this one? Uh, 2-0. Uh, t- 2-0 is, uh, just like West Ham, is 13-2 to two and £65. Adam? They'll score, but 3-1. 3-1 is 11-1 to one and £110 if you're right. Uh, you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more on gambling responsibly, have a look at begambleaware.org. Uh, now, something a bit different to finish the show this week. After Rodri's goal against Everton on Sunday, I've been asking for suggestions of the best goals from the most unexpected players at City. Uh, so we uh, we got you to send in some of those. I mean, immediately, Adam, is there any anyone that springs to mind for you? Mine was the Danny Mills one against Everton about half 11 in the morning. Yeah. That's all I remember from that and him spanking it into the top corner. Yeah, the the, uh, the the sort of goal where uh, I mean that that was one of mine that immediately jumped to my uh, jumped to mind. The sort of goal where you're yeah. thinking, why has he hit that? And then bang, top corner. Never, yeah. never did it before or <laughs> since in his career. Uh, the other one was Nicholas yeah. Jensen, uh, another le- another left back goal yeah. uh, against Leeds at Main Road. Um, well, we had in uh, Alan Kernigan against Leicester in uh, in 1994. That was uh, from John Smith, Dan Burke, Dom Farrell, uh, Richie Swin. Uh, Chris Quinn, Mark Simmons, Simon Dickinson, Eddie O'Donnell all suggested that one. Um, Adam, that was a that that was a, a proper. Um, I, 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 did he mean he meant it? Surely he meant it, did he? Oh, they all count. Of course he did. Um, again, that 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 fits this criteria superbly. That one, um, and the fact that most people suggested that one shows that that's up there in that cult status now. 
Yeah, I'm not sure, Jack, that this next one really, really counts. Uh, Michael Tarnock, the free kick at Blackburn, um, because he, yeah, he, he could hit him, couldn't he? He, he could, could hit really him. Hit we, him. We, yeah, we knew he, yeah. Like, he might not have done it for City, but he'd done it in his career before then. Um, so, I mean, Kurt Simpson, Jordan Cunningham, uh, Addy, uh, Jonathan Hughes, Sean, Nathan Deans, Jonathan Morris, Matthew Jones, Jay Thomas, they all suggested that one. Um, but I'm maybe not that's sure. What, I, maybe that's what Kyle Walker's aspiring to. Maybe. Maybe I don't know if he'll. I don't know if he'll ever manage it. Uh, Terry Phelan against Spurs, nineteen ninety three. Adam, uh, that was from Richard Roach, Pete, Fantastic. David Lamb, Peter Thornton, Ali Fogg, all, all after that one. That 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 one's ruined by the fact that it's a consolation goal. Yeah, I, I hate that. It seems. Oh, I'd say most of the best goals are consolation goals. I'm thinking of uh, yeah, Benabia at Main Road against Tottenham was a great goal, top corner. I know he was capable of it, yeah, but it not seems unexpected. the most uh, consolation, not an unexpected. Yeah. yeah, the Phelan one. It just seemed like he was running forever. Took yeah. everyone on, took them all on again, and then put it past the keeper. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that that was one that came up um, as an early choice as well. Yeah. yeah, the Terry the Terry Phelan one is quite similar to the Sylvan Distan goal at Villa, whenever fifteen yes. years ago, whenever that was. Yeah, where it's just like kind of just wandered. I mean, Phelan's was at more. There was more pace to feelings, wasn't there? Yeah. It was like proper sprinting, whereas Distan kind of sauntered. I thought it was, it was, I, I think it's the other way around. Distan, because Distan takes, I, I think Distan takes about two or three touches in that run because he just boots it into space and chases after it. <laughs> oh, does he? Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, feeling, feeling's like, feeling's genuinely dribbling it. I think Distan sees the space and goes, I'm quicker than this lot. Feeling's actually flying, though, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, so Distan was also suggested by uh, Jimmy the One, Rob Wilson, uh, Dean Ludford, Michael Hope. Um, that was uh, that. That was their suggestion. Uh, Travioli, um, Sam Whiteman, and David Hartley suggested Danilo uh, against Burnley in 2018. Jack, that you might have been there for that. Uh, I can't remember the old roll into one, mate. Maybe I was. I was definitely. <laughs> I was definitely there for the Rodri one at Burnley that was mentioned yeah. earlier in the podcast, and I yelped when that went in. Amazing, um, which was quite embarrassing. Yeah. Um, uh, but the Danilo one, yeah. Did they did they draw that game? Was that yeah, the game? All, that, they drew one all, yeah. Was that the Sterling open goal game? Yes, yeah. And then he he scored the. I think I that think was it, a, Yeah, yeah he scored the week a. after. Yeah. Um, that says got, a lot about me that I can remember being there for the Sterling open goal, but not. The <laughs> but not the Danilo goal. goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, Gaz Brady and Nathan Allen, uh, Adam, both suggested Fabian Delph against Crystal Palace in, in 2017. Yeah. Delph, not a, not a regular scorer of belters, so I'm, I'm willing to... I, I can yeah, hear the so argument I, for that. Yeah, I think he had it in the locker, though, because he scored at the other end as well uh, around that time. But I remember the one... I think he scored against Stoke in the 7-2, but I might be making that up. But yeah, top corner, curled in. Right foot I'll, as well. I'll let them have it. In adjudication panel, it's in. Yeah, um, Adam Keyworth and Ross Wood both suggested uh, Trebelsi at Old Trafford in in two thousand six. His only goal for City. I'm I'm hearing that one, Adam. Yeah, that, that's allowed. Of course, if it's your only goal and you've spanked it in the top bin at Old Trafford, you're allowed it. I'm I'm happy with that. Yeah. Uh, how about Jed Brannan against Nottingham Forest? That was from uh, William Mumford and uh, Chris Slater. Yeah. Now, see, did Brannan got a few more as well though? He did, but I um, like th- this one. Um, um, he he wasn't a, a very you know a regular scorer. And as a little aside, I when I was a child, I used to recreate this one on uh, with Subutio. So there you have it. Yeah, is that when is it when the keeper came out and clattered him on the edge of the box? Yeah, and he but just then he's, he's, he's recovered it. and popped it over the top of him. Yeah, but it's like it's it's a it's a proper like it's one of those where it gets like fifteen feet in the air and yeah. we don't know if it's on target or not and it bounces and then bounces up into the roof of the net and the away fans are behind the goal yeah. and there's that kind of like everyone's sucking the oxygen out of the stadium going is it in 
Yes, it's it, so it. There we go. Yeah, yeah. Has it gone out of the shot on the screen as well? Like I don't know. I don't know. Bot- so we'll have to get a thread of these after so people can see them so yeah. they know what we're talking about here. Yeah. Um Sylvino at Scunthorpe, that was a that was a belter. Sam Whiteman and uh, and and Just Cameron both suggested that one. Uh Jack, have you That's uh, de- definitely allowed. Uh, Jack, have you uh, do you uh, many any memories of Sylvino as a, a, a as a player that could boot the ball in from range for, yeah, for any of his other that, clubs? Yeah. I think he did that. Um did that a fair bit, didn't he? I actually watched that Scunthorpe goal earlier, and Silvino always did always seemed to do the same thing whenever he scored. He just like stood there and like walked back to left back. Um, he was about forty six when he scored this one, though. Yeah, he was just like he was great when he Silvino. Love watching him. <laughs> so is is the criteria them as a City player scoring that goal or? them in their career scoring that goal i want I, I, I just wanted yeah i just wanted unexpected uh great goals player play, goals that, that you don't expect that player to score so if they've done it previously in their career i'm not sure it counts all right so tarnat for example he was doing that on yeah. the continent yeah, yeah. that's what that's okay. why i'm not i'm not sure i mean ian brightwell yeah, yeah. um against united in 1990 that was from john smith and justin handby as well um that was the one adam where he said uh in the press afterwards i just wellied it and it went in yeah yeah, I'm still thinking about Silvino and now thinking that he was completely underrated because Roberto Carlos was about at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Although Silvino for City as well is uh, was was also we witnessed was it Aaron Lennon rip him to shreds uh, for yeah. for Spurs, which was uh, yes, yeah, not uh, not one of the best ones to remember. Uh, two more to finish. Uh, Niall AJT suggested uh, Gerard Vikings against Leeds in 2000. Vikings not a regular scorer, but uh, not not one that could could generally hit them. This was a nice little volley from uh, from the edge of the box. Uh, and then Richard Burns suggested Andy Morrison at Oldham in uh, in 1998. Which uh, if you if you go on, if you look it up on YouTube, it's a brilliant volley. Um, but the commentary just does not match it, Adam. He, like it, because he, he he says first off, the commentator says City now looking for that three goal cushion, which I don't think is wow. a thing, right? <laughs> and then he, he says Morrison plays a one two with Gota, whereas what happens is Gota Morrison heads the ball, Gota <laughs> heads it back, and Morrison volleys it. You can't play a headed one two, can you? Uh, definitely meant it. Definitely sounds, sounds like a one two to me. <laughs> but it, can one you play a strictly head- feet? Yeah, but a one-two is to get you out of a tight space. It's not just two headers in a row, is it? Surely. Have I like walked in some sort of like parallel universe where I'm talking to Adam <laughs> Hurry here, or what? I don't know. Like... I don't know. I don't know. But I think uh, it's probably probably smart that we leave it there. That's where we're going to finish it for this week's Blue Moon podcast. Uh, thank you very much for listening, and thank you also to my guests Adam Carter, thank you, and Jack Gorn. Thanks, mate. Cheers. Uh, if you've enjoyed the show, please go and give it a rating and a review in whatever podcast app you use. If you'd like to support the show, then you could become a Patreon backer. We do bonus episodes for backers. On Monday, we've got a brand new City Heaven, City Hell show. Uh, me and Howard Hawking are joined by Leeds fan John McKenzie to reflect on four games between the two sides. Adam, you did one of these episodes that went live last Monday. It was about Spurs. Uh, it's good fun, isn't it? Yeah, it was a therapy session for me. Uh, we just alluded to that Silvino performance. Uh, I think after the many years, you you exercised the demons with me, so it was great. Uh, always worth a listen. Yeah, so uh, so go and have a look at that. If you want to, uh, those shows are available every Monday for just £2 per month, and you can get them on your phone in your usual podcast app as well. All the details are on patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. On top of all of that, you'll get this podcast every Thursday night or Friday morning without the adverts as well. So we'll be back with another show next week after the games against West Ham and Villa. I'll see you then.
the Blue Moon Podcast. Please support the show. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast.